breaker one, breaker one might be crazy, but I ain't dumb. Crazy cooter coming at you. Hey, fast line, fast track. Y'all got your ears on out there? John Deere to New Holland. Just look at the load I'm hauling. Hard work, I hit it harder. Ain't nothing new for a backwoods farmer. Sun up to sundown. Backing up traffic all the way to town. Camo hat and a farmer's tan. Cause I'm a working man. Welcome to Fast Line Fast Track. Presented by Fast Line Media Group. Your innovative consumer resource and marketing partner of choice for the evolving agricultural community. Now, here's your host, Brent Adams. Well, welcome to another episode of Fast Line Fast Track. It's great to have you with us. On this episode, Tom Vilsack is sworn in as the 32nd U.S. Agriculture Secretary. Ethanol industry prospects before the U.S. Supreme Court have received a boost. We discuss the long-term future of U.S. ag exports and the biggest market influencers of 2021. We have the latest update on the Certified Ag Dealer Program. Jesse Allen has another Market Talk update. The Hot Rod Farmer Ray Bohax is back with another installment of Bushels and Scents. And we hear the fresh country music sounds of rising Nashville star Kirsty Krause. You won't want to miss a moment of this one. Let's go. Well, first up this week on Fast Line Fast Track, we start out with a little bit of news, and this is one we've been following for a few weeks. The Senate Tuesday overwhelmingly approved the nomination of Tom Vilsack as Agriculture Secretary. The Senate voted 92-7 to to approve the nomination via a roll call vote, sending Vilsack back to the Department of Agriculture's top position. Vilsack returns to the agency after serving as Ag Secretary during the Obama administration. The Senate allowed for 20 minutes of debate, but opted for short statements from Senate Ag Committee leadership before calling for the vote. On Wednesday evening, Vilsack was sworn in during a virtual ceremony. USDA Radio's Rod Bain has more. A virtual ceremony Wednesday evening from both the Eisenhower Executive Office Building on the White House grounds. Do solemnly swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States. And in Iowa. Do solemnly swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States. As the man who served as the 30th Secretary of Agriculture was sworn in as the 32nd, Tom Vilsack given the oath of office by Vice President Kamala Harris virtually and surrounded by wife Christie and family during the event at their Iowa home. Congratulations, Mr. Secretary. Congratulations and to the whole family. Well, it's been a busy week in Washington, D.C. Ethanol industry prospects at the U.S. Supreme Court and a challenge by small oil refiners over ethanol waivers may have just gotten better, according to longtime ethanol booster and GOP Senator Chuck Grassley. Grassley says the Biden EPA's siding with ethanol producers on the 10th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals ruling against small oil refiner ethanol waivers can only help defeat refiners' appeal to the Supreme Court. It surely isn't going to hurt ethanol. It's going to be a big help to ethanol. Grassley referring to when the case comes before the high court later this year. But the Biden EPA must still issue renewable volume obligations for this year and decide the fate of billions of gallons lost to waivers. Just one court has taken specific action. 500 million gallons weren't included, and there was a recent favorable D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals said that they had to be included. But others that have been waived... Uh, It would only come if they were in the RVOs, 
and we were promised that those backlogs would be reviewed, but we haven't been promised that they would be included. Meantime, Grassley speaking just ahead of the Senate's overwhelming confirmation of Tom Vilsack for a second run as USDA secretary, says Vilsack will be key in unfreezing CFAP dollars for agriculture. There's $8 billion in there, and that's what's being held up right now. I assume that's going to be spent, and then I, I think it'll take Vilsack being confirmed, and then we'll start uh, getting a final decision on uh, CFAP. Vilsack told the Senate Ag Committee at his confirmation hearing that getting COVID relief funds to producers as quickly and efficiently as possible would be one of his top priorities. And finally, another story we're watching this week, former USTR Chief Ag Negotiator Greg Dowd told a Farm Foundation forum session U.S. ag exports will be in for a roller coaster ride for the next few years, especially with China. Dow told the forum China has the potential to import 30 million tons of corn from the world. But as I look at the situation today, pork prices in China are falling. You have now, you tripped the other day in China, $11 a bushel corn. You look at crush margins for soybeans. You look at all these things going on in China. And going forward, you know, two or three down the road, years down the road, I can't tell you whether China is going to import 5 million tons of corn or 30 million tons of corn. Dowd suggests factors other than the U.S.-China phase one deal will play a greater role in determining the future of ag trade between the two countries. Maybe one of the biggest things to ever happen in the history of world agriculture. And that is China made the decision to ban the swill feeding of hogs. They made the decision to stop feeding food scraps to pigs. Now, China lost about 40% of their hogs due to African swine fever. And the volatility, again, that's the key word here, is as they come back online, it's not going to be a smooth line. Volatility comes with increases and decreases in herd size, but a turning to Western-style confinement operations dependent on lots of feed. 100 million tons of soybeans, USDA predicts, up from 82 million. That's just a really significant change in the demand for soybeans in the world driven by one country. And, and again, that speaks to my point about volatility. China's total ag imports from the world looked to be about $170 billion last year, up from $136 billion two years earlier, and beef, pork, and poultry imports almost tripling to $28 billion. President Biden's U.S. Trade Representative pick Catherine Tai is now up for her Senate confirmation hearing, and China trade could be a key focus. A special thanks to Matt Kay with Burns Bureau Washington for that audio. And next up on Fast Line Fast Track, if you've wondered what the biggest market influencers of 2021 are, analysts from the CME Group called last year unprecedented, but they also say 2021 will be a different story from 2020. However, the global economy won't go back to pre-COVID-19 norms. Certain trends are accelerating and new policies are coming, which means markets will have a lot to think about this year. One of the factors that will influence the agriculture markets is China's economic recovery. China's having this sort of bifurcated economic recovery that we're seeing all over the world, which is that their service economy has been relatively slow to rebound, but it is rebounding. But their manufacturing sector was extremely fast to rebound. Even by the month of May last year, it was showing already growth rates of 8 to 9% year on year. And that was enormously supportive of industrial metals. It was also enormously supportive of agricultural goods prices. And we 
seen soaring prices for many agricultural goods, including soybeans, corn, and wheat, but especially soybeans, soybean oil, and corn in particular. That's Eric Norlin, the executive director and senior economist with the CME Group. Blue Putnam is the group's chief economist. He says another key factor influencing the 2021 markets will be weather. We have a La Nina, a strong La Nina, and that's cooler than usual waters in the Pacific equator. You think about cooler water, but they really impact winds in the upper atmosphere. If you think, wondering why it's been so cold in uh, Europe and it's now a cold wave in North America, the La Nina has actually destabilized the Arctic air and allow it to come down south a little more often than it might otherwise would. Hurricanes were a problem for southern agriculture last year, and the presence of a strong La Nina may mean challenges ahead in 2021. La Nina's also create, uh, as you may have noticed last fall, uh, an atmosphere or an environment that you can get more hurricanes in the Atlantic Ocean. El Ninos, that's warmer water in the Pacific, create a wind pattern that cuts off the tops of the Atlantic hurricanes. And that doesn't happen when La Nina shows up. Drought is another potential challenge for the remainder of the year. When we think about agriculture, we really have to think about which areas might have a little more drought and which ones might get a little more rain. And in particular, the countries that are starting to be affected by drought are in South America, Brazil and Argentina. There is some chance that we might get a little modest drought effects in North America in the Corn Belt, but that's less of a sure thing and not always attributed to La Nina. But the La Nina is having its impact on South America already. Weather will affect how China purchases commodities to meet its demand, which in turn will also affect how many acres U.S. farmers will plant for each commodity. And then, of course, impacts how China will be buying its demand for corn and soybeans because they used to buy most from the U.S. Then they started to split their purchases after the trade tensions. But now it's going to be, in some ways, supply constrained. And we'll just have to see how the crops show up. But I can tell you, at these prices, North American farmers are going to plant land they didn't even know could produce. You have very, very good conditions, if you will, for uh, planting a lot of acres this spring in the U.S. Corn Belt. So a lot of different influences on ag prices, from China to weather to how we plant the crops. Again, Blue Putnam is the chief economist for the CME Group. Chandler Equipment. For 51 years, Chandler Equipment has been manufacturing excellence. The finest quality in pull type and truck mount fertilizer lime spreaders and litter spreaders, fertilizer tenders, seed tenders, and litter conveyors. They also sell a full line of Raven Industries Precision Ag products. To find out more about the full Chandler product line or to find a Chandler Equipment dealer near you, visit ChandlerEquipment.net or give them a call at 800-243-3319. Well, next up on Fast Line Fast Track, you've heard us talk before about the Certified Agriculture Dealerships Program and AgPAC, which is a powerful package of farm and ranch management tools worth thousands of dollars to farmers and ranchers. And today I wanted to bring in Troy Hadrick, who is in industry relations for the Certified Agriculture Dealerships to kind of break some of this down for us. Troy, welcome into Fast Line Fast Track. Yeah, thanks. Pretty exciting to be talking about the Certified Ag Dealer Program here. I know we've had uh, your colleague, uh, Lyle Orwig, on the program before talking about it. And uh, this thing, every time uh, we get a status update on it, it continues to evolve. You've been uh, at it, kind of building this network for a few years now. It was formerly known as the Ram Agriculture Dealership, but but now it's been rebranded as the Certified Agriculture Dealerships. And uh, you're just continuing to cast that net wider. Yeah, we really are. Um, as we've continued to evolve and grow, we've brought on more AgPAC partners. We've, um, you know, continued to look at what the program, um, how it was shaping up, 
and it really became an opportunity for us to do a little bit of rebranding and grow the program even more. So uh, prior to this had been exclusively available at Ram dealerships. Uh, as we move forward now, we're gonna have the ability to move into some other OEMs. Uh, we, we are actually now gonna start offering Jeep Wrangler and Jeep Gladiator. If you buy one of those, you can also qualify for AgPack because we know those vehicles are getting used on farms and ranches across the country as well. And so it just continues uh, to grow as we look at how can we can help farmers and ranchers um, get that more, get that bigger return on investment for their truck purchases. We know they're expensive. Everybody knows their inputs are expensive these days. I'm a fifth generation rancher myself. And so anytime, um, you know, you can make a purchase like this and have a, a bigger return on investment um, through our AgPAC partners, uh, it really makes a difference on your bottom line. Well, and you bring up some key buzzwords in there, ROI, bottom line, inputs. Uh, it just seems like about every discussion we have on this show these days uh, revolves around those topics. And uh, let, let's talk a bit about uh, how you can actually make an impact here on that bottom line. This package offers uh, different uh, uh, offers from Michelin and BF Goodrich Tires, Rhino Ag Products, Dixie Chopper, Agra Edge, Agro Liquid, Reinke and uh, Gallagher Fencing and others. So tell me a bit about, you know, when somebody purchases a truck, how does this whole thing work? Right. Well, right off the get go, um, we partner with Ag Direct, which is the equipment financing division of Farm Credit. And you can get uh, financing for, for a new truck through this program um, that's really tailored to you. Obviously, you know, when you think of a traditional financing of vehicle, right, you're going to make monthly payments and, and, you know, I realize and, and farmers and ranchers all realize and so does Ag Direct that our income streams don't come once a month, you know, they might come once a year even. And so you can tailor those, uh, tailor a financial package um, through Ag Direct and your certified ag dealer that way. So that gets started right off the bat. And then uh, once you purchase that pickup, then we've got a redemption specialist and her name's Katie and Katie will actually call you and go through all these offers. So for instance, you mentioned like Gallagher fencing. So right now we've got cows out grazing on cover crop and that requires us putting up some temporary fencing. Well, if you bought your pickup from a certified ag dealer, you can get rebates on your, on your uh, Gallagher fencing products that you're using there. Michelin tires has a tremendous offer. Um, we all know we go through tires on the farm and ranch and uh, I put a new set of Michelins on one of our feeding tractors this summer and and uh, got to use the the program for that and so all of these things like that um you know you're we know you're going to buy tires you know you're going to buy seed you know you're going to buy fertilizer those are all things you know you're going to buy every year and just because now that you've bought your last vehicle your last pickup or your jeep wrangler uh from a certified ag dealership you're going to get um some really compelling offers um, that are going to save you money on those uh, on those things that you're already having to buy. So that's where it really adds up. I mean, you can if you look through the offers, you can you can save up to ten thousand dollars real fast on uh, all of the offers that come through the AgPack program. Well, not only the cost savings, but I understand that you guys also have staff trained to understand the unique business needs of agriculture producers and are able to provide knowledgeable product advice uh, that that helps you make the most out of those offers. Absolutely. So, you know, right off the get go, when we start working with these dealerships, when they sign on to be a certified ag dealership, you know, a lot of times they didn't really view themselves as an ag business per se. And so we have developed a online um, curriculum 
that really brings their ag awareness, their ag knowledge up to speed uh, that can be tailored to their area. And they send somebody from their service parts and uh, sales departments. So no matter where you end up in the dealership, you know, you're going to find somebody in there that's aware of this program and, and has a better understanding of some of the unique needs that farmers and ranchers have. And then, uh, you know, we help with them as they continue to evolve and figure out how they can better serve those farmer ranch customers. Uh, we're just a phone call away from them. And then helping, uh, helping our farmers and ranchers take advantage of these programs. So when Katie's on the phone with you and says, hey, congratulations on that new purchase, and then she'll walk through all those offers. And I think that's what really makes us unique is the authenticity. Um, almost everyone on our team has an, an ag background. Um, if they're not even actively in agriculture in some fashion. And uh, it's real people behind the scenes that are helping make this come together. And it's just been a really fun project for me to um, be involved with because we're bringing all of these different ag businesses and some of these manufacturers now and saying, hey, what can we do together um, to do a better job of serving our farm and ranch customers? So it's pretty unique. Well, Troy, I tell you what, it's been fun watching this program evolve over the years here, and I'm interested to see where it all goes. If folks are interested in, in tapping into this or finding out uh, if there's a dealer near them to uh, take advantage of this, where can they go? It's pretty simple. You just go to certifiedagdealer.com, and you can see dealer locators in there. You can put in your location, and it will give you a list of your closest ones to you. You can see all the offers that our AgPAC partners have put into the program and and really start to see how you can take advantage of that. And, and uh, it becomes pretty clear pretty fast that uh, you can see a return on investment on that on that new pickup purchase um, pretty quickly. And, uh, and it's just because you're going to a dealership that has kind of put the flag in the ground and said, hey, we want to do a better job of serving you as a farm and ranch customer. Well, definitely something worth going to check out because everybody wants to save on that bottom line. And Troy, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on Fast Line Fast Track. And we look forward to catching up with you here on the future to uh, uh, find out the latest and greatest. All right. Thanks, Brent. World Ag Expo Online is not just one week. We'll be here all year long with new information, seminars, links to exhibitors, and more. Mark your calendar to make sure you visit the show website every month. Want to get monthly reminders of updated news and information? Go to worldagexpo.org to sign up for the email newsletter. More than 600 online exhibitors coming from 48 states and 65 countries. Attendance is free for the online show throughout 2021. Just go to worldagexpo.org. Well, next up on Fast Line Fast Track, it's time for another Market Talk update with Jesse Allen. This week, we're checking out the weather in South America as well as U.S. housing numbers. Jesse, tell us all about it. Well, thank you very much, Brent, for having me back for another edition of Fast Line Fast Track this week with a Market Talk update and a lot of things we're looking at in the market trade, of course, as we move forward. We've been watching South American weather. Still some bullish uh, market features out of the weather patterns in South America. It's either too dry or too wet in many cases in parts of Brazil and or Argentina. Also watching some other numbers here uh, as we look at the U.S. and look at housing numbers. Not something you expect to really have an impact on the grain markets, but housing and other financial numbers and uh Look at equity numbers, the dollar, crude oil, things of that nature. Mike Zuzalo with Global Commodity Analytics joined me on last Wednesday's edition of the Market Talk podcast, and he pointed to those housing numbers being a big deal affecting the markets. Big deal, I think, was the housing numbers. And, you know, it's hard in a commodity program to talk about housing numbers and try and connect the dots 
to say that's part of the risk on trade that we saw this risk on Wednesday, as I would call it. But I do think that the market is in search of inflationary data. We've had a lot of Fed speak. Uh, the Federal Reserve chairman has been in front of the Senate yesterday in front of the House today. A lot of people talking inflation. The Texas natural disaster that's turned into an economic disaster we touched on last week, that too is starting to create a lot of inflationary pressures. And we saw it in the weekly energy data with some of the lowest refinery numbers as far as capacity utilization that we've seen in many, many years. We dipped below 70% refining capacity in this last week's data by Department of Energy. But then as I said, housing starts kind of kicked off the inflationary bug today, and we saw a really nice, I think, 4.3% increase in January. They revised December from about 1% to over, I believe it was, yeah, a 5.5% increase in December housing starts. So when you start talking houses and, the, and then that kind of thing, you start thinking the jobs are secure. You think wages maybe will start to at least firm, if not increase. And I think that really was the genesis of why we were able to find so much follow-through buying uh, in the markets, uh, along with some su supply-demand features. Well, the corn market has been steadily uh, working its way higher for the most part here, while the soy complex uh, broke out to the high side once again this week with the bullish trade. And Mike Zuzalo mentioned a few interesting notes and about how he feels where this corn market is headed. Corn really, to me, is the sleeper still. It looks the best technically. It has the strongest support underneath it. And I'm hearing from clients back east that they're raising ethanol bids, not not lowering them. So the futures is rallying, plus they're increasing the basis. So I think the, the corn is essentially running on all eights right now. And that South American issue is not really going to go away anytime soon. And a lot of brokers and traders and analysts have been telling uh, producers that if they are looking to do any marketing right now, they really should think about getting some protections underneath them and get a floor underneath them. And Zuzalo agrees. I think with all due respect, a lot of people have stopped trying to pick highs in this market. And it's a fool's errand to try and pick highs and pick lows in, in these markets and commodities, especially with the fundamentals that we have, with, that we know about that uncertainty. And then there are fundamental uncertainties we don't even know about yet that could really impact these prices. Why? Because stocks are tight. And the, and the currency markets are not in a deflationary mindset. So the, the world has turned upside down since last August. And, you know, people can say that the Iowa derecho was a big deal. And it was. But it really, to me, the genesis of the whole market turnaround in commodities was when the Federal Reserve came out in early August, late July and said, we're not raising interest rates. We don't care if inflation goes above our target. And that's what they said. And I think the financial market, people like me and like the people on Wall Street were like, hey, this could be a late 1970s, early mid to mid 1970s to early 1980s scenario where this cost push inflation could really do some damage. Real assets are something I should probably get a hold of. I also asked Mike Zuzalo about the continued push higher in the hog market and how I've been blown away by some of the moves here in hogs lately. And here was Mike's response. Well, and this is the funds. And that's why when you feel blown away, it's usually the funds and the investors plugging it. And I think that's where we're at. We're at the pork and bean trade is back on. The funds are buying hogs, buying and beans as well. Um, you know, Bloomberg broke a story earlier this week, Jesse. I think it meant a lot to the market. They broke the story about what we've been talking about, where the Chinese ASF is not going away. And that just says to the market, 
Why did they release 20,000 metric tons of pork out of their reserves this week? Because they needed it. And because they, although the pork price has dropped a little bit, they're nervous it's going to spike again because we're coming back from Lunar New Year holiday. And they know that their production cycle is a little bit wobbly here. And they're probably not going to get a lot of animals until summer or late summer, early uh, fall. So I think that's where the fundamentals are um, a, a material piece of the puzzle here. But I think the vast majority is the pork and bean trade and the fund investment. I think the cold storage numbers said a lot with we, we saw a buildup versus last month, but we're still down uh, 26% versus last year. So it makes sense why, similar to the grains, any fundamental news, get any risk on trade news and inflation, hogs are a good bet. And I think that's where I still like being hedged in that mid 90s, 96, 97 area, um, getting up to that level in the June and July contract. I think it's kind of like five and a half dollar corn. Why wouldn't you hedge that every time you get up there over the course of the 20 year time period, you're going to come out well and you're going to be profitable. And that's all that counts at the end of the day. You can find more online at markettalkag.com for Fast Line Fast Track in Nashville, Tennessee with this Market Talk update. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. And you can find Jesse's daily market updates at markettalkag.com. And you can find him by searching Market Talk on Facebook. He also appears on the American Ag Network. And you can hear him host Your Ag Today weekday mornings about 6.50 a.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Satellite Radio, Rural Radio, Channel 147. Well, next up on Fast Line Fast Track, it's time for another installment of Bushels and Cents with our buddy the Hot Rod Farmer, Ray Hacks. Don't forget, you can check out all of his great multimedia content at FarmMachineryDigest.com. Welcome to Bushels and Cents, a weekly podcast from Farm Machinery Digest. I am your host, Ray Bohax, the Hot Rod Farmer. And never forget, it is not what you make, but what you keep that counts. When an electrical or electronic device is not working or acting strangely, do not forget to check the integrity of the ground circuit along with the input voltage. The circuit requires voltage and ground. If either is deficient, problems to varied levels will occur. Recently, a farmer contacted me about a $500 solenoid on a sprayer that would work intermittently. I told him to perform a voltage drop test on the ground. The ground looked clean, but had internal corrosion in the wire. The solenoid was fine. That simple test saved him the value of more than 140 bushels of corn. Agriculture runs on machinery, profits on reliability. Visit FarmMachineryDigest.com, where steel and soil meet. Well, don't forget, Ray Hacks has launched Farm Machinery Digest Radio on Sirius XM Rural Radio, Channel 147. It airs each Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern and again on Sundays at 6 p.m. Eastern. So go and give him a listen, won't you? Well, next up on Fast Line Fast Track, we head on over to the musical side of the house, where our guest this week is a native of the Janesville, Wisconsin area, where she made a name for herself as a country singer and songwriter, and now she's in Nashville doing the same. She has some new music out that we'll tell you about a bit later on, Kirsty Krause, welcome in to Fast Line Fast Track. Thank you so much, Brent. It's really good to be here. It's really good to be on this platform. So I just so appreciate you having me. Now, folks that follow us will know uh, we were supposed to have her on last month, but unfortunately I got sick and we had to put that on hold. But we're back today. And uh, Kirsty, uh, a native of Wisconsin, used to the uh, weather that Nashville is getting right now, but you're not there to experience it. Yeah, you know, I, I almost would say I'm treating myself a little bit. We uh, we made our way down to Florida for seven weeks. So we uh, the 
the flyer says uh, winter in the sand. So we tried it the snow, which is actually snow right now in Nashville. And it it's accumulating on the ground, which is crazy. And I heard Texas. Um, so there's a there's a lot going on in the nation. And luckily, I'm skipping that for 72 degree weather in Florida and touring down here. We got 21 dates. That's so not can't bad. complain. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's more than most people got all year last year. So 21 in that short span. That's pretty good. Yeah. Amen to that. I think as long as we, we continue with uh, acoustic shows and places that we know are outdoors, we can do it safe and uh, we, we won't get canceled on. So we're yeah. going to we're gonna continue the path that we know that we can rely on right now because uh, there's a lot of movement. There's you know still a bunch of people that need to get the vaccine. So uh, we're just going to have to wait till that all unfolds and then we can maybe have a festival or two. Yeah. <laughs> And before anybody freaks out, all those shows are, are being done at smaller venues where social distancing and all CDC guidelines are being followed. Absolutely. Well, let's kick things off the right way this week. How about a song from Kirsty Krause? This has got to do on Fast Line, Fast Track. I'm
like yours truly. Uh, you are a native of Wisconsin, which is kind of an underrated hotbed for country music. Tell us about growing up there and how you were inspired to become a singer and a songwriter. Okay, you could have not said it better. I don't like if people don't know about what goes on in Wisconsin with country music, they are missing out. So many festivals. So many shows. I remember going to see Rascal Flatts as a very tiny person, and my sister was like climbing the tree, and I climbed up the tree to see them on stage. Um, so there's just so many festivals, and I definitely stayed in that area, was honing my craft, um, playing shows. Growing up in greater, you know, Madison, uh, there was always something to do. That city is very vibrant. That city is very music related, arts related. Um, of course, it's a big uh, tech tech world. And so new startups, so lots of people with, with uh, their creative juices and uh, starting businesses. So it was really inspiring to be there. And um, I, I very early on started singing. I, I jumped up on picnic tables when I was two years old and was taking requests from my family. And I, it was really cool. I just got to see a home video of that actually in, in person because I've heard that story for so long. And um, yeah, from there it was like dance and piano at seven and plays and anything you name it. I was singing the national anthem for or doing some sort of church festival and just singing on stage. Thanks to my parents and my mom for dragging me places and uh, making sure that I loved, you know, I could do what I, what I love. And, and that was be performing in some capacity. <laughs> Well, I didn't get a chance to put it on here, but if anybody wants to go back and check out, I did see a great uh, rendition of the Star Spangled Banner from Slinger uh -huh. Speedway. Yeah, I've gotten to do some NASCARs or like, you know, like uh, races. And of course, the ultimate goal would be to sing National Anthem for NASCAR. My uh, second cousin is Derek Krause, okay. number 19, and he's NASCAR next. So he's down actually in Daytona, not too far where I'm from doing the races over there, which is, I'm like super proud of him. And I, I hope one day he'll be racing and I'll be singing national anthem. He had a little bit of a rough go of it uh, last week at Daytona, but he won the 2019 Canon West uh, championship. So you know. A bright future ahead of him. So be on the lookout for him. And I know talent runs deep in the Kraus family. Oh. By age 12, you were writing songs, and by 15, you had joined the Nashville uh, Songwriters Association International, began going back and forth, I understand, uh, between Wisconsin and Nashville to hone your craft. How did you first learn about NSAI, and uh, what, what did that experience do for you? How, take me back when you first reached out to them and got connected. What did that look like? Yeah, I a lots of Google research. I think my mom did a lot of research growing up. But then I I got introduced to the Chick Singer Night, and uh, I ended up doing one right, like right before I joined NSAI. And I think that's we asked um, the lady who runs the Chick Singer Night. And fast forward to the future, I got to play the Bluebird in Nashville with this Chick Singer Night chapter uh, here in in Nashville, and so just from, I think from that outlet, asking questions and learning about that there was an NSAI, which is Nashville Songwriters Association Incorporated. It's a mouthful. Um, and that there's chapters everywhere and you can go and you can sit in a meeting and get your songs critiqued and learn as you watch other people get their songs critiqued. And I got really lucky. My, um, 
the teacher for my NSAI chapter, the leader, was Julie Moriva. And she mm-hmm. actually writes with Megan Lindsay, the Steel Magnolia, you know, and she's been she's been going to Nashville and doing her thing for a long time. So they they kind of became my first Nashville family, people that I learned from in, in writing the craft. And then I met Mark Allen Barnett. So um, yeah, those two people were very key people early on that just kind of took me under the wing, uh, wrote with me, answered my questions. I have always been somebody with lots of questions. So um, yeah, that's NSAI has been a really good hub chapter. I still write with a lot of the people I've met from that chapter. Yeah. And shout out to Mark Allen Barnett, who is uh, good buddies with our friend Scott Southworth, who's been on the show a number of times. So, oh, cool. Good, good to hear his name. And it's, it's funny as you start kind of connecting all these dots here and see, seeing all the relationships. And I'm sure you've seen this uh, th- through your NSAI involvement, is just how it, it takes that big world and really shrinks it down. Oh, yeah. It's, I would say, like, Nashville is a, are you okay? <laughs> Nashville is a really, uh, big but little town you know and crs is one of those like we're, we're kicking off crs this week and every year when you can do crs in person you see those same artists you see that same chunk of maybe like 40 of us that are there you know doing the things putting the work in like really yeah doing all the things to grow and so um it is it's a big town but also a really small one Before you made that full-time leap to Nashville, you spent a lot of time uh, kind of creating that fan base in Wisconsin. What did that look like for you? Oh my gosh. Those like still to the, to this day, I call them my OG Thirsties. Um, They were the ones that were literally at every show. They became like family. I still have uh, this balloon. I know that animal popped on as his nickname. I saw him and his, his comment, but I have, I saw this balloon that they all kind of went into when I was moving to Nashville. And that was like really bittersweet because I knew I wasn't going to be, you know, performing every weekend at whatever, you know, tent festival and in Wisconsin and in the Midwest. And they have this, uh, this balloon that they got me that says good luck. And I kept it and I still have it up in my closet just because those relationships, they, they mean so much to me. They were there before I ever even, thought about the record and you know when I was just kind of getting my feet wet as as far as performing with a full band and and realizing what that was to run a band on my own and kind of have that be my business and be the leader so I I can't thank them enough for just like all the support and And showing up as I can tell for the comments those are the people that stick with you and uh, show up for these kind of events and and for everything really get behind you. Absolutely. And I, you know, every year I play a couple of hometown, I play one specific hometown show that's called world's largest broth fest. And it is so much fun. And we break records with how many brats we eat. That's so Wisconsin. If you guys don't know, um, and they're all there. And I, it's like my, my moment where I kick off the summer and I get to play everything I've been working on, I get to play, you know, like, Hey, I'm going to be releasing this next and, and we get to do it. So it's, it's so much fun. I, I give anything to be able to play with, uh, with the full band. I'm missing that. And they wash those brats down with cheese curds. Yes. Cheese curds and beer. There you go. Brats and beer. Brats and beer. <laughs> so how did you know when you were ready to make that full-time leap then to Nashville? 
That's a good question. I was a calculated person more so than I feel like most musicians. They kind of, you know, move to Nashville, get the feeling and go. Where I uh, definitely did a more calculated approach. I can attest that to my parents. They're very like the left brain, like we're going to plan kind of people. So uh, the first time I came to Nashville was 11 and we actually looked at magnet schools like uh very focused to music and then i remember us again when i was about 15 16 when i started frequenting nashville um we were talking about moving down there as a family but it never felt the right time for me yet i think i i think i needed to go to school i went to college um you know got got my feet wet in the whole like business end of the world because as as you know music is just as much the business as it is what we do on stage as it is the, you know, the fun stuff. So I don't regret taking my time with that. I remember wanting to go to Belmont and then just realizing that staying, staying home and, and playing festivals and doing the band thing and uh, making my money that way and transitioning into a full-time artist where I could go back and forth even more frequently and, and write Nashville and essentially start writing for my, for my first record um, was the path for me. And I think everyone has, you know, a different path, but I don't know if I would have still been in Nashville had I come at maybe even 15 when we were thinking about it. Like I'm, I'm glad I waited and came in the time where I knew that a hundred percent of my energy and body would be focused here on all the activities of what it means to be a musician and artist. Yeah. Well, you talk about the business side, even aside from, from some of that, you really do have to be a little bit P.T. Barnum to sell yourself and stand out uh, amongst so many other good artists down there, don't you? Absolutely. And nowadays you got to learn how to click all the buttons and which buttons that means yep. <laughs> as you helped me with some audio stuff right before this. That's right. That's uh, it's all part of it. And we're all kind of learning on the fly here as we go. So once yeah. you got down to Nashville, what did you do to hit the ground running to uh, kind of get acclimated to that day-to-day -day lifestyle? And is it what you expected it was going to be when you got into it? Yeah, I think for sure what I expected only because I had come, I had come enough that I really felt like I had a core of like 200 people that I knew, if, if not more, um, just from all of the networking and just literally like the old school, like writing down the names, remembering, following up with them. Um, when I came to Nashville, I really made sure to go out to all the spots and the Midtown and the Demumbrian and, and do the writer's rounds, which was a, a different you know, thing to have that be like the main outlet for a couple of years until I started uh, touring out as just my own music. Um, I, When I moved in October, I ended up moving it up a month. And I came down in October and we started demoing immediately. I had, uh, you know, a, a big group of songs and I was like, let's demo them. Let's hear them. Let's figure out what's going to be on this project. And I launched a Kickstarter very shortly after that. And which is, was mostly backed by a lot of my thirsties and people from Wisconsin and some of my co-writers and, and just to be able to now, have that record out, have that record in their hands, um, really saved me through this 2020 crazy year and being able to talk to them about all the songs that aren't released yet, but they get to hear is, has been, it's special. It's like, it's, it's a special thing that I was able to do for people that helped me make it. 
And that record was quite a calling card. And we'll get into some of those songs a little bit later on. But pretty early on, as you had mentioned, in your existence there in Nashville, you had the opportunity to play some pretty legendary spots like the Bluebird Cafe and the Listening Room Cafe. What was it like to showcase your talent there among so many other emerging talents in the business? Oh, such an amazing feeling. Of course, I watched every single episode of the show Nashville. So I was just that much more excited about the Bluebird and when that time came and got really lucky and got to perform uh, four songs in a row, which is not normally orthodox for the Bluebird shows. Normally they have like the circle in the middle. So that was really cool. I got footage from that. Um, the first time the listening room was happened uh, this year and for the first time it was at end of last year and so now it's been like three times that we've been there and that is such a special place I think they re-shared one of the pictures of me as I'm like just taking in the moment going like this like right backstage because um, it was it was it gets you like nerve-wracking all over again because you're like this is a moment I'm never gonna forget for sure and um, it's really special and thankfully uh, the second time we played there, my or the third time, my parents were able to come in and come into town and, and be there for it and take in the the magic of that of that space and listening room with the bluebird being so on and off this year. Listening room has really become yeah. a spot for people to perform. I mean, they're getting probably a million emails, so it's just it's a it's a true honor uh, to be able to grace that stage, especially when they're so busy right now. How often do you have the opportunity to go and see other artists there and, and just kind of take in their creativity? I honestly, I try to go like I love going to Whiskey Jam, which is every Monday and Thursday. And if you don't go out, you don't hear you don't hear the pulse. You're not you're not hearing like what people are up to. And you can totally tell when you're out, you're like, hmm, like they're they got something special here. They, you know, and it, I think as artists and as the community, we all try to lift each other up, build each other up. I, I remember talking to a young artist and I didn't know him. And I went up to him and I was like, I love your sound. I love what you're doing, but you might want to wear plaid, you know? And like, it's so stupid, but I'm, I'm coming from a place of like genuine, like I, I see the, the whole package and I, I want other people to see it just as much, you know, so like maybe visually you can dress a little bit more like your sound. And I think other places people might be afraid to say something, but Nashville is such a community where we give each other feedback. We're constantly asking each other questions like, you know, what company did you use for that video or what did you you know, what'd you use to get on the billboard charts for uh, music row or stuff, questions like that all the time. It's, yeah. it's definitely a, a community and I love going out and listening to people. So who are you listening to these days? Uh, I have, I have a whole artist lineup that we're about to uh, reveal, but I really like McKenna and I like, uh, as far as well-known, I like Emily Wiseman. I religiously follow her and anytime I get a Twitter notification or a notification on Spotify, I am going to listen to her stuff. Uh, huge fan of, I just got done interviewing Dallas Remington nice. and uh, I love her, love her grooves, her vibes. Uh, so yeah, a lot of female artists. I'm definitely one of those that 
goes out on Fridays and listens to what everyone's releasing. And a lot of times they're my friends that are female artists in Nashville. I tell you, NSAI is such a big part in the songwriting part. Are you doing much these days in the way of co-writing? Oh, yeah. So I had a co-write earlier today on it was Zoom. I asked her to send the link over. Um, Gabrielle Metz. Love her. She's super laid back, super fun. So we finished a song today. And then about four days, five days ago now, I wrote a song called Florida Days because I'm touring in Florida. So it's definitely got some like Walker Hayes, Jake Owen, like chill beach vibes um, kind of stuff. So I'm hopefully going to record that and release that out to some chop rock radio stations down here just because it's it's so much fun. And I've, I've performed it twice now. We've gotten really good feedback. Um, but yeah, I try to I try to write just all the time. I mean, I write by my I wake up at 5am and accidentally and then all of a sudden I have a song in my head. And so I just regurgitate that on the on the on my phone, you know, write on a Google Doc and, and then go back to bed. <laughs> I just try to use that muscle all the time. And Florida Days is actually the name of one of the places you're playing at, huh? It is. So it kind of, this song, you know, is for Florida Days, the place. And also it's the whole theme of the song is every day is a good day when you're, when you're having a Florida day, you know, like when you're in Florida. So um, super, just super fun. Inspiration can hit anywhere, can it? Yeah, we'll have to play that one at Florida Days on Friday. There you go. So how... Uh, <laughs> has it changed the creative vibe at all to be doing these over zoom versus being in a writing room somewhere? It absolutely does. It's, it's a total different experience. I'm an energy person for sure. And a lot of times I am listening, you know, to and feeling the song and, and trying to let it tell me what it wants to be. I I'm generally am, take a very creative stance to writing. So um, it's very different when you can't be in the room with somebody and you can't, sing at the same time and maybe hear their version of the melody you just came up with or, or something. And so a lot of times it's one person that has to do uh, the singing and, and the playing. And then the other person has to give input when you're not playing. It's very weird. It's very weird. <laughs> do, you, do you have any favorite writing partners? Oh yeah. I, for, for a long time, I've had a group of just, just people, I would say Joe Sly is one of them. The first song I, I performed, and then I mentioned him. Um, we have about eight now or nine songs together, and he sends them over to the UK, and they get radio play over there, and and then he just Venmos me when when the quarter comes time. So I'm like, awesome. So that always makes for a good writing partner, right? Um, Diane Waters, I love her. We've written probably almost 10 songs together. Emily Kroll, who just made... Uh, the Billboard charts with Priscilla Block. Uh, we have a probably like seven songs together. So you definitely find your people, and you're. And then I'm at the point where I'm like, okay, I have this idea. I know what it's going to sound like. Here's who I want to go to for that, you know, or or whatever you know, writes coming up. I kind of generally take in what their specialty is, and whether it's a slow song, or whatever, and and I start to formulate ideas just specifically for for them do you have a um, wish list of anybody that you want to perform with either as a singer or a songwriter yeah i mean i love brad paisley 
and he does some duets from time to time. You know, Keith Urban does a lot of duets, but Brad, Brad and Keith are like up there. Uh, for me, I've always had this weird feeling and and my mom had a vision too that I would open for Dirk Bentley and I just love all his smash hits. So, uh, you know, doing a duet with Dirks would, would uh, be a great day in my book. <laughs> That would be uh, that. That would be top notch. That, that'd be mm-hmm. awesome. And and he seems to be pretty generous with uh, opening acts as well. So that's yeah, such a great guy. I remember I met him and I was like, "Hey, heard you, you know, brought on to Neil Towns. Great choice. Not saying anything bad, but like, mm-hmm. you could have me open for you. I definitely said that to him at an event, and he was like, "What's your card?" <laughs> <laughs> It's just funny. He was he was really nice though, and really sweet, and definitely took time to talk to everybody at the event and take pictures, all that good stuff. Well, even though he came out of Arizona, he he still trod the same path, you know, playing a lot of those same venues and and knocking on the same doors you're knocking on now. I love it. I think this year for sure made everyone kind of on an equal playing field as far as just doing live streams, but it's been a total treat for all of us fans, you know, Ashley McBride being live on Facebook. What, you know, it's been uh, super fun to be able to tune in and watch and see all the new songs that Thomas Rhett is coming out with or, or writing. And he just puts a video up right after he writes it. So that is one major silver lining is um, the Opry live streams, seeing everybody live. Well, that's been the interesting thing. You know, somebody like Ashley McBride, uh, one night will be playing at the local and uh, the next night she's on uh, the Opry stage. So, I mean, that's uh, it, it has been interesting for everybody, to say the least. But, but yeah. she really gets out there in, in town and, and still does a lot. I know. That's like the that's really the beauty of Nashville is there's there's pop up shows that happen all the time. And I say the best way to find out about them is just follow them on Twitter and get those notifications. Cause you just, you never know when someone just pops into whatever venue and decides to play a couple songs. Well, again, uh, kind of circling back around to that whole business aspect of this, what, what's been the toughest part of this whole journey for you so far? I think the amount of hours that are spent in front of the computer now are yeah. with, with 2020, um, that, that was really hard. I'm a very, very social person, as you can probably just even tell. And, um, going out to the BMI rooftop parties and the live events and, and seeing people and, and really, really rooting for each other is, is harder, you know, like it, the text messages is, is not the same. It's, it's nice when you can go out and, and see some people live. So just trying, uh, to do, what I can to keep sane and, and be out. Um, but at the same time, you know, we, we, we got all be safe too. So Nashville is, uh, definitely still at the uh, 25 and 50% capacity and no dancing, yeah. no dancing, which is so weird. So weird. But, um, at least there's music still going and people ask me the status update all the time of Nashville. <laughs> Yeah. And I don't think anybody knows that. That's the hard part. Yeah. They, nobody really knows. Cause I think, um, you know, we thought the Florida was really, really shut down because of the media that we were seeing in Nashville and it turned out to be a different case. So it was, we were kind of like, we don't really know what, what is actually going on a different spot. So I think the best, the best way to 
to go about it is just to ask the people that live where you're going. Well, I tell you, uh, you, you put out a couple of great songs uh, th- throughout the pandemic. How have you navigated uh, trying to get new music out uh, th- through everything we've gone through over the past year? Yeah, luckily I had a record that we had fully mapped. I think we wrapped everything up in November of 2019, um, full masters, vocals, everything. So um, having 11 songs to be able to release that were done and not recording during a pandemic was, that was really, really helpful. I was able to then focus on more of the admin part as far as getting it out and really properly releasing a single and letting people know about it through, you know, social media and my mailing list and doing a bunch of live streams like this. So that has been helpful in that case and releasing music off this record that I've been working so hard on and um, really been like focused on this product has, has been a blast. The amount of support that has come out of it uh, as an independent artist has been amazing to see. Well, it's a dynamite project and I want to share one of the songs from it. This one is called Silver. Tell us about this one. Yeah, Silver, I got to, uh, the music video, I got to release um, and released a BMW, which is really funny. The BMW ended up being from Vero is what the app is called. And the guy ended up being from Wisconsin. About that? And so I was like chatting him up. They like, Oh, this is going to be for our music video. <laughs> and, um, it was so hot that day and I was in like pleather pants, but I never felt so glam in that sparkly dress and having Mallory Liebman do my makeup and even go a step further and be there in the studio holding that leaf blower. So my hair could like blow a little bit. She, she was awesome. And, um, shout out to the MySet app, which are part partners of, of ours. We met them in November and then fast forward, they had a studio connection. So, uh, we went over to the StoryForge studio and, um, yeah, I was able to film it there and we did three different locations for the video. Do you like that part, making videos and getting into that creative aspect of it? Oh yeah, that definitely cuts in on like the acting part and the like being able to dress up and be glam one day and and then you know wear wear a different outfit and a different scene. It's it's so much fun. And if it's it's of course it's like me jamming out to music that I'm so proud of and this song is a complete jam and it's like live with the guitars and everything it's it's just so much fun to perform well here it is from kirsty kraus this is silver on fast line fast track
Dirks, if you're listening, sign her up. <laughs> sign me up to come on tour with you. That was such a fun day. Again, it was really hot, but we, it was, yeah. And it is actually a really fun fact is the sun was setting, but the videographer made it look like the sun was coming up. So I was uh-huh. driving like through the night. So he switched the sun on that one. This is like video editing technique. Not everybody can pull that off. No, they. I definitely, he, he spent time on it. It was his first uh, project moving to Nashville and being able to show off his skills. And from there, he went in and dove into like 15 other music videos. I think people just saw the kind of quality of products that can be put out there. And so he, he got busy from that video, which is amazing to, to be able to, you know, that we were, we were partnered and he was able to get more work from that. That's awesome. So if you can change day to night, you can write your own ticket. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so when you're not making music, do you have any other hobbies or interests or is it all pretty much uh, wall-to-wall music for you these days? Um, You know, I mean, it's all music, but I, I love being outside. I love yoga. I love uh, being in, when we are in Florida, being able to just go to the beach or check out the local coffee places or the shops. Um, so that's that's kind of hobby. I definitely am a Google place person and will like save a place that I know I want to go to to eat at or check out a coffee. And so um, I, I just try to check out all the spots and then give them a little Google review. <laughs> there you go. Well, something announced this week, you're joining the crew of the Backstage Pass powered by the Sports Guys podcast. I know they also do a great live stream and I have tremendous respect for what Brandon has done with that show. And I hope folks will go and give that a follow as well. How does it feel to be on the other side of the camera and uh, microphone and uh, get to interview artists? 
Yeah, that's been really fun. It was definitely like coming from Streamfest and hosting that. Uh, so being being a host, but now being an interviewee and um, being able to interview friends I already know or, or get to know complete new artists that I've never heard before and dive into what they're doing and what's going on in their world. And that's been really fun. That's excellent. So make sure you go check those guys out and then uh, watch whatever they're doing here. They bring some great guests on there. I tell you what, the new single Thirsty recently was released. Tell us about it and tell us about the whole Thirsty concept, which has taken on a life of its own as you refer to your own followers as Thirsties. And you were once were the front woman for a popular band in the Midwest called Thirsty Jones. So break all that yes. down for us. <laughs> so I've, I've kept, I've definitely kept that word around uh, for sure. I, my name is Kirsty. A lot of people want to say Christy and that's hard. And, but you know, the I is before the, if I can get this pointer thing right, the I is before the R and that's, that's different. Um, I was named after Kirsty Alley, but a lot of people don't know the cheers reference. So I used to just tell people it's, it rhymes with thirsty. It's Kirsty like thirsty. And, um, from there I started writing songs where, thirsty would be a word in the songs somewhere. And um, it just became a, a funny like joke. And then I, I knew that I had to have a song that was entitled thirsty, um, especially after the the life of the band happened and, and we were totally in it. So we actually did a tour one summer and we called it the I'm still thirsty tour. And I think the summer before that was like always thirsty or something like, so it was very Wisconsin themed about, about drinking and about having a good time. And uh, I wrote a lot of like sassy songs then for the band days. And uh, it was just, it was so much fun. And I, I, so I still have koozies that say hashtag I'm still thirsty. Nice. And um, through the life of this song and being able to perform it live for the record, we shortened the title and it was just called thirsty. So no, I'm still thirsty, just thirsty. <laughs> Let's check this out here. This is Thirsty on Fast Line Fast Track. I'm thirsty for your love. I just want to drink you out. Fill my heart to the time. to defeat me on my head I do You hold my hand and I found my ground I feel so damn good and my heart 
I'd say what, Kirsty, for anybody who's interested in following your career, buying music or snagging some merch, where can they go to do that? Yeah, KirstyKraus.com. I do have a store now. I got t-shirts and the album. You can actually purchase the album way before it's released digitally. It will be coming out digitally this year, but you can get yourself or your physical copy, signed physical copy, um, including a t-shirt, tour poster, all that good stuff on my website. And uh, Kirsty, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here tonight on Fast Line Fast Track. I'd love to have you back anytime that you have new music to share. Just want to hang out. Absolutely. We got a lot of stuff in store for the future. I so appreciate you, Brent. And I'm really glad that we got to still get on here. Everything's good on your end. and. Everything's good here. It's just, it's been really good to chat. So thank you for having me. And we want to thank you for joining us this week. And we want to say a special shout out to our musical sponsor, the Ernest Tubb Record Shop, 417 Broadway in the heart of downtown Nashville, Tennessee. I hope that when you're in the Nashville area, you go and check them out. They've got a great selection of vinyl, CDs, and merchandise. And if they don't have it, I know they'll find it for you. So stop by and say hi and tell them you heard it on Fast Line Fast Track. Well, planting season is right around the corner. Are you in the market for a new tractor or perhaps a planter? If so, head on over to FastLine.com and check out the equipment locator with the price comparison tool featuring the Iron Average powered by Iron Solutions. That's FastLine.com. And while you're on the website, please be sure to sign up for the print catalog for your state or region. No need to head into town to pick one up off the convenience store rack. The FastLine catalog is still being delivered directly to your mailbox, and it's still a favorite resource of farmers and ranchers across our great country. And don't forget to subscribe to the Fast Line Fast Track podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Deezer, Audible, and Radio.com. And be sure to hit us up on all those socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Well, it's time for us to get on out of here. So until next time, it's Brent Adams saying y'all come back. And bring along a friend. You've been listening to Fast Line Fast Track, presented by Fast Line Media Group. To learn more about Fast Line's customer focused marketing solutions, visit FastLineMediaGroup.com and check out our brand websites FastLine.com, BigAg.com, and PinkTractor.com. If you have topic suggestions for future podcasts, drop us a line at Brent.Adams at FastLine.com. <laughs>